This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Uh, Jim Cuddy from Blue Rodeo is going to join us. Nobody meant more as an artist to Blue Rodeo than Gordon Lightfoot. And I can tell you that few bands meant as more to Gordon Lightfoot as Blue Rodeo did. So um, on the scene, obviously playing Queen Street bars, uh, the Rivoli, the uh, the Horseshoe Tavern. Um, Jim Cuddy's in Spain right now. But um, I've been lucky to get to know him. I reached out and he's this is I'm not saying I'm just saying this. He said, I'll do one show and I'll do one chat because I'm in Spain. I <laughs> would you do four radio shows if you were in Spain today when it's three degrees in Toronto? You would not. So uh, Jim Cuddy will join us in just a little bit. Um, OK, so, yeah, we lost uh, Gordon Lightfoot last night. Um, what a life. What a life lived. And text open all morning. Um, on this front to uh, to get a sense as to what he meant to you at 416-870-6400. Um, I mentioned, um, I, I, think that, I think there's four things that leap off the page to me about Gordon Lightfoot. Never stop being cool, and a lot of artists do. He never did anything to embarrass himself. Didn't have a bad era. He never tried too hard, and he always took time uh, for those that he influenced. All of those things. And it's very difficult. I've had so many artists. I think I watched, to be honest, I watched the Duran Duran documentary and I saw Simon LeBon say, like when when you, he, they had three albums and they kind of split up, right? Two guys went and did one band called Power Station and, and Simon and, and Nick Rhodes did Arcadia. The best way I can describe it, I've watched this clip many times because I think it happens in many of our careers, is he said the first time it happens that things start to go downhill, it's really scary because you'd, you'd think that it's going to carry on forever. I think a lot of people think that about relationships, and they think that maybe about the first job that they really love or their career. Well, why won't I be here 35 years? <laughs> like, Because 2% of the people that do what you do, being in a band, being in politics, um, working in the media, being a lawyer at a law firm, that law firm's not going to keep you 35 years. You won't get to do anything you want, almost certainly, for 40 years. Ask a pro athlete. When you're done producing, you're disposable. It doesn't matter who you are. There's not many legacy athletes that hang on and hang on and play with one team, especially after their production dries up. That's an amazing thing to be able to do that. And Gordon Lightfoot, who really didn't have hits after the 70s, he didn't care. He was not going to exploit himself. He wasn't going to um, push himself to do something that that wasn't going to fit. And he got through that tunnel. And by the way, like Simon LeBond described that tunnel as being like you just are sitting around going, what can we do to make this work? And what can we do to save this? And, and, you, and, and you fight for survival because you have your moment. And then you get through that tunnel and you're on the other side and you say, let's just relax. Let's do what we do best. Let's let's go on tour when we feel like it. We've still got things to say with our music. We've still got people we want to influence. We've still got people we want to make happy. And you, and you go do it. And it's just that simple. So for you, the lawyer, um, you, the teacher, yeah, you're not. You probably don't want to stay in the same high school teaching the same subject um, to thirty years of kids. It's the same thing as if you do anything else. You work. You work in managing. You work at an emergency room. You do what I do. You want new adventures. You want to do different things. And Gordon Lightfoot decided, I'm going to keep doing those things. I'm going to keep doing those things and have an impact. And he did. 
Um, so he died at Sunnybrook Hospital last night, just after seven o'clock at the age of 84. A tremendous, tremendous legacy. Jim Cuddy in a few minutes. But here's Ian Hannah-Mansing sitting down with Gordon Lightfoot just three years ago. This is when he's about to close up Massey Hall before Massey Hall gets renovated. Um, Massey Hall is near and dear to my heart. It might be to yours as well. And uh, here's Ian Hannah-Mansing asking him just about the impact of staying in Canada, traveling in Canada, and how Canada influenced who he is and how he wrote songs. One of the really cool things about you is, I mean, you've stayed in Toronto all this time, but also you really have explored rural Canada. Not a lot of people who have been number one on Billboard's chart have also canoed through all these Canadian rivers and, you know, and enjoyed the, the wildlife there. Has it, has it had an impact on you as a person? Has it changed you at all as a person, being in those places? I, ne- I never actually forget it. Forget about, about meeting animals face-to-face in, the, in those situations. When, when you're standing, look at a, at a musk oxen, and, he, and he's like standing like 15 feet away from you, looking at you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. I've actually I've written one of my, my best tunes on it. Uh, I, I wrote a song called Shadows up there one time. Uh, which, uh, wrote it right, the whole tune right on the trail. There's a shadow moon in the waters here below. Do not shine the way they should. And I love you just in case you didn't know. Let it go. Gordon Lightfoot, 84 years old, passing away uh, yesterday. Let me shift to this really quick because Gordon Lightfoot would not would not want a radio show in Toronto to talk about him all morning and not talk about his beloved Toronto Maple Leafs. There will be a Leafs-Panthers game tonight, uh, game one. I wouldn't be shocked if they did a moment of silence for Gordon Lightfoot. He loved the Leafs. Again, he was very Ontario. I never, ever begrudge you making a decision to move somewhere. I never do. So like the all the actors that would move to the States, some people did that with, with Brian Adams when he moved to London, England. If he wants to live in London, England, that's great. He's always he's always pure, true Canada to me. Uh, so is Neil Young if he's living in Los Angeles and married to Daryl Hannah. I could I could give a rip. It did matter that Gordon Lightfoot stayed here. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. That's the amazing voice of Sarah Sleen. Pickering Zone, let's represent Pickering here, uh, on stage about 12 years ago at the Juno Awards with our next guest, uh, who has uh, won several Junos with the band Blue Rodeo and, uh, of course, uh, just, just kept kept Gordon Lightfoot's legacy and held it so close to their heart as a band. Um, th- Gordon meant a lot to that band. Uh, <laughs> that band meant a lot to Gordon, and he said so in many interviews. Uh, joining us now from overseas is Jim Cuddy. Jim, it is great to have you on. I really appreciate this. And, and I'm uh, you know, like, like I said, Gordon meant so much to the band, and I'm sure to you as an influence and a musician and a, and a human being. Yeah, I think that's everything you said is, is correct. I think one of the greatest thrills in my career was getting to know Gordon Lightfoot and being able to call him a friend. And uh, he was sort of the icon when we moved back to Toronto from New York. He was the icon that made us know 
that everything we wanted to do, we could do in Canada. We didn't need to be in New York and we didn't need to be to L.A. He was just this figure that said, oh, you can you can reach everywhere you want from from Toronto. Plus, he was so unique, right? Oh, my goodness. I, I said it earlier, uh, Jim. He never stopped being cool. And, and a lot of artists um, do. <laughs> a lot of artists get pushed into something by a record company or a manager. And they say, do this. This will yeah. get you back with it. He didn't care. And every generation. I got teenage kids that know him. And my grandparents know him. So we're talking like a like a 90 year <laughs> age gap of people that know Gordon Lightfoot and have such tremendous yeah. like he just always, always touched all the right notes for us in this country. Yeah, I, again, couldn't agree more. He was he was a cool young guy and he was a cool old guy. He didn't really have a middle port. Right. He was like mm. a cool young a troubadour. And then when he was an old guy with the long hair and the incredibly thin body, just kept going. And his perspective on life, his perspective on music, the uniqueness with which he saw his own talent. And it, it just, every part of it was inspiring. And, and uh, it all said, be yourself, you know, because Gordon was himself. When did you first meet him? Well, you know, it was a funny meeting the very first time, because the very first time we did a Stein Valley benefit, beginning of Blue Rodeo, and uh, we were out there in the Stein Valley in B.C., trying to save this old growth forest. And it was something putting on by uh, Dr. David Suzuki. We all played. And then Gordon was the big headliner. I met him about four times during the day. And each time he forgot who I was. <laughs> and, then, and then when he came on, the first thing he said was, well, you know, the loggers have got to eat too. <laughs> Which, of course, shocked the crowd that was there trying to save this old growth forest. And... Uh, and then subsequently, you know, I remember getting a call. We, we, I think Blue Rodeo played Massey Hall. Mm. Right? And all of a sudden my phone rang and I answered it. It is it's Gordon. I was like, I wanted to yell to my wife, Gordon Lightfoot's calling me, for God's sake. Um, so I saw him numerous times over the years. He always went to, to concerts. He, he used to go a lot to things that played at Massey Hall. And he, he had a certain, about 12 rows back on uh, stage right, those were Gordon's seats. So when you played and you looked at it, sometimes you saw Gordon, sometimes you didn't, but those were his seats. So, yeah, a lot of times in, in the past. I did not know that. And I know, boy, we're, we're so, you know, you've played a couple of times since the venue was refurbished. He he kind of closed it down before the refurbishment in 2019. And, and, and then the, I'll tell you what, then the pandemic happens and you're like, gee, I hope we can see Gordon Lightfoot play Massey Hall again. And we got to, we got to last winter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and also, you know, it's it's so typical of Gordon that he he died with uh, tour dates on the schedule. Yeah, you know, I know he had to cancel them, but he was not going to stop. That was what he did. I think it's always funny when people say, you know, well, why why do you keep going? Well, I was like, this is what we do. This is what Gordon did. He always loved playing. Uh, it, whatever diminished him, he all he was still himself. He's got these beautiful songs. We had a great thing at Massey Hall. Uh, one of the last times at Blue Rodeo played, we had. Three Gords there. We had Gord Downey, we had Gordon Pinson, and we had Gord, uh, Gord Lightfoot. Now, I know, and it was amazing, and they were all backstage, and they were all doing what they do, and they were, you know, everybody was loving them. And now they're all gone, and I, I, I'm super grateful that I knew all of them, and I, I'm super mm. grateful for what they, who they were and, and what they gave to Canada. It's Jim Cuddy joining us uh, live from, uh, from Spain, as a matter of fact, talking to us. They're back on the road this summer, of course, and they'll be at... Uh, 
at Bud Stage in August. And I, I bring this up because I think we all remember um, Gordon Lightfoot and the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. And I actually think we all remember where we were when we heard it. And probably I, I've already heard from people this morning when I said a teacher took out a cassette player and played it in school and said, write a couple paragraphs. And you're like, ah, it's still schoolwork, but it's a little cooler than 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 your average assignment. Do you, do you remember hearing that song in the late 70s and going, and it was a number two hit. Like somehow at that point, a record company executive didn't say, no, 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 no. We can't put this out as a single. And it was a smash. Yeah, I know. It, it was crazy. I, I go back further because when I first got a guitar and got a, a, a little book, the first, first song I, I learned to sing as a 10-year-old was That's What You Get For Loving Me, <laughs> which is just an absurd <laughs> thing for a 10-year-old to be singing. But also, there was a time when we were supposed to do the Railroad Trilogy right. with Gord for, for an event. And uh, again, he called me and he said, uh, are you sure your drummer's up to this? And because it has three different time signatures in it. And we, you know, Blue Rodeo is a fairly uh, uh, loose gathering of musicians. So we thought, yeah, we can do this. And Gord said, yeah, the first one starts in 82 and then it goes to 112 and comes back to 91. And I thought, he's not kidding. He wants those to be exactly those tempos. Um, it didn't end up happening, but I assured him we we were we could do it precisely. Well, two things I I'm uh, I'm happy if you know this already, but if you don't, I'm I'm happy to to give you something to to win a bet over uh, someday. John Mellencamp covered this song and was br- the Railroad Trilogy, and it was brilliant. And he mm-hmm. actually had met Queen Elizabeth II. And she told him she liked the song. Now, that doesn't seem... Nowadays, you'd think, well, someone planted that with her. But that probably wasn't the case with Queen Elizabeth II. She probably did hear that song on on British radio and told him that he liked it. That probably happened. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that, you know, like you said earlier, um, you know, Gordon's uh, influence and people that liked him spread throughout a number of generations and all around the world. And, and that was, you know, that was a cool thing. He certainly was one of the first guys that was signed out of America, had international hits, but remained in Canada. And that was a big deal mm-hmm. to us when we first moved back to Toronto from New York. We'd see him bombing around in his old New Yorker, his big, gigantic New Yorker, you know, one hand on the wheel, one hand with the smoke. And uh, it, was, <laughs> it was an inspiring image to us. I mean, I, Greg turned into that for two years. So. <laughs> <laughs> he, could, he could turn back in uh, at any moment. There's always, yeah. <laughs> there's always the potential, uh, Jim. Before you go, I, I always think about, you've mentioned that a couple times, how he, he reflects Canadiana. And I'd never, I'd never begrudge it. How could you begrudge an actor or a musician who says, well, I'm, you know, I, I just can do better and, and feed my family and do what I need to do in the States. Or if you want to move to the UK because you meet somebody. But, you, but you're right. I, I think it gave any of us who've gone away and come back or any of us who've lived in, in Canada, you guys are, are well known for that. The hip, and, you, and you were in a, in a band that I, I'm sure people said in the 80s, well, when are you going to when are you going to do this? And when are you going to break the United States and do this and do that? And you've all I've seen you in Michigan a couple of times. So you do play your shows there. But coast to coast here for 39 million people. Gordon showed you that this is all you really need. It really is. Well, did I agree this morning that, that Gordon said he'd been a lot of places in the world and none more beautiful than Aurelia and, and the Muskokas. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that's what, and I think also Gordon loved Toronto. Gordon had, you know, this great house in Rosedale, a lot of memories. Um, he loved being in Toronto. He liked being among people that he understood. And so, I mean, obviously he was, he always traveled around the United States, maybe not so much Europe in the last number of years, but, but 
I think that there was a time when Canadians didn't even realize who uh, in the whole lineup of stars, who were Canadian. Um, and Gordon kind of showed them that, you know, this is what it means to be Canadian. And whatever you do, like you said, nobody would begrudge anybody for mm-hmm. going wherever they felt was comfortable for them or best for their career. But uh, it certainly became uh, a way that you could you could stay where you grew up, where you loved, and still attack the rest of the world. I think you nailed it. Hey, uh, I can't thank you enough for doing this this morning. Thanks for taking time out of, out of your day uh, and, and being in a special place as well and coming on the show in Toronto, um, where, where your band means so much as well, Jim. I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate it too. It's really nice to talk about Gordon because it's, it's going to be a very emotional day. But thanks a lot. No question. Jim Cuddy joining us from Blue Rodeo on Toronto Today. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Public Service Alliance of Canada. Uh, They got Treasury board workers back to work yesterday. You woke up Monday morning, heard of a deal uh, that got done very late in the process on Sunday. And so those workers reported to work. And that's the vast majority of the 155,000. CRA workers still out. So still picket lines um, here and there. I'm I'm sure they wish for... uh, for better weather in Toronto and Hamilton and especially Ottawa, where it's always a little colder. Um, but they were out yesterday, expected again today. Um, the PSAC says parties met throughout the day, late into the night, and they'll start it again tomorrow morning. But but I wonder if there's momentum from the one deal that can sort of have that domino effect and lead to the other. Very pleased to welcome on our next guest. Uh, every time I see her on TV, I listen, I get smarter, and we love having her on our show as well, economist Armin Yalnesian. It's great to have you on. Thanks again for the time. Are you kidding? Thank you, Greg. Absolutely. I mean, you you kind of tweeted about this, that this is, I'll, I'll paraphrase, this is textbook collective bargaining. This works for the administrator, in this case, the federal government. This works for the workers. What did you see in the process that says it looks like everybody can, if not claim victory, everybody can at least be satisfied after two weeks? Well, I was really very struck at the uh, willingness to come closer uh, on both sides part, you know, notwithstanding the polemic that we heard from both sides, uh, they were bargaining in public, they were bargaining in private, and they came very close to making the lowest paid workers in the Treasury Board unit actually whole, actually covering people that have a starting wage of $20, $25 an hour. They are almost made whole this year, 2023. They start sliding a little bit behind inflation next year because mm-hmm. there is this... Um, uh, there was movement on the percentage increase uh, from the government from 3%, kind of, uh, in this year. But they also gave them a one-time lump sum pay- payment. We can talk about what the significance of that is later. But I did write about how negotiating for money for a dollar amount rather than a percentage increase reduces inequality and helps. It's like a reverse negative tax. It gives more money to the lower paid you know, in, in in relation to their income than to the higher paid. And that's going to help people that are really struggling with inflation more. And that was part of the package. So I was very pleased to see that element there. Well, I observed that, I mean, with the QP strike in the fall, um, and, and that was, you know, uh, educators uh, striking against the provincial government. That's always emotionally fraught, especially here in Ontario. But what I noticed is when sort of the concept was, it's not a uniform percentage increase across the board because they had a big slogan. I think thirty-seven thousand might have been thirty-eight 
state is not enough. But there were QP workers making close to six figures. And I think the public had more empathy by saying, let's give a higher percentage or more of or more to those making less. That that made sense to the public. And, and they got on board after that. And it should, because that, in, in effect, builds solidarity within the union between members, people understanding that somebody making six figures hit with inflation, well, they're going to change their decisions about vacations or going out, that sort of thing. Somebody making forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000, which is often the opening wages, 20 to $25 an hour over the course of the whole year, is $40,000 before you pay taxes. Mm-hmm. In a city like Toronto, that leaves you with something like $28,000 to cover everything. You know, so you're very lucky that you can get it, get by on that amount. And when inflation starts hitting and it's affecting the things you cannot duck, like housing costs, like food costs, like gas costs, that leaves less for you to spend on everything. So it's bad for everybody because it means you're shrinking the economy. You're not buying other things as much as you're buying the absolute necessities. And so it actually slows the entire economy down. So this is like a a dollar amount rather than a percentage increase also prevents, you know, if I tell you you're going to get a 10% increase to deal with inflation and you're making $100,000, that's $10,000 in your pocket. If it's if you're making $40,000, that's $4,000 in your pocket. Who needs the $10,000 more? Somebody making 40000 yeah. or somebody making 100000 It's the easiest math in the world to comprehend. Does not work for taxes. Does work for trying to catch up with inflation. Well, I think that's that's why we criticize things that are sort of, you know, static flat taxes, like the carbon tax at the gas pump affects people making 50 grand a ton more than those making 250 grand nobody likes it but i think that that's where people look at the liberals and go wait a minute where where's your sense of equality here what shouldn't should somebody pay a higher percentage just like income that's a tough thing to track i'll admit that with a credit card at the gas pump to go oh here's how much money you could be borrowing dad's car as a teenager and then and then get quite the uh quite the bill at the end of the day let me ask you (laughs) Let me me ask you about about where the federal government is on this front. Could any criticism be levied at at the negotiation? Could people say, if you were going to give them this number, this number was there nine days ago or 10 or 11 days ago. Could that be made? Oh, sure. There's lots of criticisms you can levy at both sides. That's the that's the nature of negotiations, right? It's mm-hmm. like nobody gets exactly what they want. And in the country of Canada, which includes taxpayers as well as public sector workers, <laughs> nobody's going to be, uh, you're not going to get 100% yes, this was the deal. And especially the speed with it. But don't forget, it was 13 days uh, from the time that the strike was declared. Yes, those negotiations were in place since 2021. June of 2021 was when they ran out of the last collective agreement. So they've been going through the pandemic as well as uh, this terrible year of inflation with no pay increases. So it could have been done more rapidly, that's for sure. Uh, but probably both sides did a lot of grandstanding about where they could and couldn't go. And so that's what strikes do. It kind of strengthens the resolve to get going. And whereas 13 days is maybe 13 days too long, in some people's opinion, it sure did speed things up. Oh, yeah. Armine Alnesian, our guest on Toronto Today. Uh, she's an economist. We're talking about uh, the PSAC settling at least most of their uh, most of their workers with a, with a tentative deal uh, with the Treasury Board. 
I felt more of the public was supportive of the wage increases than I did some of the stipulations about work from home. Work from home is that sort of it's almost like asking somebody about their health. It, it involves their family and their living situation and the distance they drive from work. I think that sort of push and pull is still happening between employers and, and employees in the private sector. Um, did you think people were more supportive of, yeah, let's get you to a living wage if you live in a big city rather than, hey, yeah, let's make sure that you don't have to go into the office. How did you view it? I think this is the next conversation in collective bargaining that we haven't seen before. And this was the first big high-profile talk about this. Mm -hmm. So yes, I think you are absolutely right, Greg, that people have more sympathy for making very low-paid workers able to catch up to the cost of inflation. Of course, time is money. So when you say to somebody that uh, is perhaps going to have to drive 60 minutes to get to a call center, that they can stay at home to do the call center work, that's going to mean less time and money in commuting also wardrobe and food, you, you add it all together and that extra hour of commute, sometimes two hours of commute in a place like Toronto, uh, makes, uh, makes a huge difference to somebody's life. But most people are not sympathetic to that. Most people picture people working from home as people like making six figures and being in their pajamas. So, you know, that doesn't evoke a lot of sympathy. But the truth is not, and there's, sorry, there's one other thing I should mention, which is not many people can do that work. Across the entire economy, it's about 20% of all workers that can work either um, from home or remotely, which means they're not at their regular pace, place of work at least 50% of their time. And that has dropped from about 40%. At the peak of the uh, mm. of the pandemic, so you know we are talking about a, not only a minority of Canadian workers, so consequently people aren't as sympathetic, but also possibly a minority of this bargaining unit. You know, the, most yeah. of these people have to go someplace to work. So the interesting thing here was that the union did not uh, stop the deal, which was a, primarily about money and catching up to inflation after three years without. Mm. Uh, a contract and focused on talking about working from home, which is tricky. It's got productivity concerns, productivity enhancements. It's got the savings for commutes. Yeah. It's got the whole issue of management having some kind of control. This is a tricky issue um, and not holding up the deal for that. So they're still talking on elements of that. And I thought that was very grown up. Of both I of think them. so. I think so. I mean, uh, Yelnizia and our guest, I got 40 seconds. Uh, you, neither of us have a crystal ball, but you got a little more one than I do. How do you view the, um, the Canada Revenue Agency thing um, in the next few days. Does, does this give us momentum to get a deal there? Yes, on the money front. But what the, why one of the reasons why these guys are still out is because they're also bargaining for equal pay for work of equal value. A lot of these CRA workers work in call centers across the country, and they get paid less than their equivalent counterparts in other federal government mm-hmm. service. Uh, departments and they get paid less than some parts of the private sector and that's what they're looking for and i recognize that that's a big bite right it cover my inflation costs plus give me work uh, you know pay me what i could get if i went someplace else and so again people are not likely to be as sympathetic for these people but i would ask you when's a good time to ask yeah no now's the moment because once you sign for four years you this uh, this chance ain't coming around again until 2027 hey you're the best love having you on and love your perspective i mean thanks so much have a great day
You too, Greg. Thank you for having me on. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Minden. I know this area really well. Um, cottage country. You got Minden near Bob Cajun, which is near Gravenhurst, which is um, it, all part of cottage country. They're potentially losing their emergency department. In fact, they're going to their hospital, the Halliburton Highlands Health Services, the HHHS, is going to lose their emergency department on June 1st. So they'll have a hospital, but if you need urgent care or you're taking, they're not going to take you there as of June 1st. Not a lot of people know that. Someone else who sort of picked up the torch and said, we need to do something about this is MPP uh, and New Democrat and MPP for Spadina for York. He is Chris Glover and he joins us now on Toronto Today. It's great to have you on. Thanks for making the time. Yeah, thanks for having me, Greg. Uh, of course. We, when you first heard this, you probably responded as I did saying, a, it doesn't sound right, and B, right. not a lot of people who will go up there because population just swells there in the summer in yeah. June, July, and August, understandably so. If something goes wrong, heart attack, you, you fall down, you're not going to know that that hospital that's been there for decades doesn't have an ER anymore. You know, it's really dangerous actually closing an emergency room, and especially in cottage country when the population is going to be tripling in a few weeks, and the date for the closure is June 1st. What can, what can be done here? What do you think? I know we, we've had conversations with people up in Minden um, separate of each other. What, what are they telling you they want to have done here? They want, they want to stay on this. They want you know, the, the uh, HHHS to postpone this decision uh, because there was no community consultation. There was no consultation with the local uh, the county council. And so they really want, and they want the rationale. And they want the plan going forward. So the rationale that's been given is that there's a staffing shortage, but they haven't been given. And one of the things that the community members are asking for is the plan. So if you're closing the emergency room in Minden, where are people going to go? And, and the, you know, the first answer is, well, the Halliburton uh, emergency room, which is a 20, 25 minute drive away. Uh, but do they have the capacity and how many people, I mean, really, when it comes down to it, how many people are actually going to die on that ambulance ride 25 minutes up to the Halliburton Hospital? Yeah, I think I think two things. What, one is p- people do make their own decisions about about where they live and, and they're willing to, um, you know, have that process and think, what do I need to do in an emergency and how fast can I get there or how fast can someone get to me? But I think yeah. the point that we're getting at with Minden is. This will be a shock to some residents, and there just isn't the the runway of time to a alert the residents and b make alternate plans with other hospitals. There really isn't. No, there isn't. I mean, they, they gave they made the announcement, and it's six weeks from it was last week they announced it, or the week before last, and they're giving people six weeks. You know, and it's just it's not enough time, especially when you consider the surge of of people going up there, uh, you know, with cottages and, and tourists going into that area, because it is a very tourist heavy uh, area, you know, tourism mm-hmm. in that area is one of the, the biggest industries. And I'm thinking the emergency room may be the most important part of the hospital. Maybe not everybody that's employed by the hospital is, is qualified or certified even to work in, in an ER. And of course it's going to get over capacity at, at some point in time. But I, I don't think a lot of residents are thinking, well, if I'm just going in for a checkup or I'm going in for some blood work, there isn't the urgency that an emergency room needs for people at that time of year. You know, I found out about this, my friend who moved up there a little while ago, he, he and I met at a trailer park in that area when we were both five mm-hmm. years old in the, 
decades ago. Um, anyways, he phoned me up Sunday night. And he said that he and his wife and his mother had been in an accident on the highway, you know, not too far from Minden uh, in February. And his wife in particular had severe, like multiple broken bones and whiplash. They were all rushed to the Minden ER. Mm-hmm. And then he found out that this Minden ER is closing. So he's the one who alerted me to it. And then there's a, a number of community members. They formed a Facebook group. They've got a petition. They've got 33, within a few days, they had 3,300 signatures on the petition. They brought them down to Queen's Park. We read them into the record at Queen's Park. Wow. All right. Well, let's stay on this story. I want to shift to this. You mentioned in, uh, it, we're talking to Chris Glover, of course, MPP for Spadina Fort York. Kristen Wongtam had some tweets over the weekend about something that transpired with a, a community drag story hour at a library. You amplified that as well. The news cycle has been so busy. Can you can you explain what you know uh, happened and, and why there was this kind of reaction uh, from from you and and uh, and Kristen as well? Sure. There was a, a drag uh a drag artist reading at uh, the local library here, the Fort York Library. Mm -hmm. And there was a very angry mob out front protesting this and and yelling at the the drag artists and the families who were going to this uh, this performance. And it was really just completely like protest is fine. You know, protest is an essential part of our democracy. But when it comes to harassment and intimidation, that's crossing the line. And that's where this protest went. And I think I think I wonder if we're are we able to clearly distinguish um, between those that are absolutely like I I know there's uh, there's legislation on the books potentially for the for the conservatives and liberals to vote on that would um, would keep a, a, a limit of people who are going to spew hateful things going to make threats. Is there is there a distinction to be made between those and potentially parents who, like you said, have questions i like i i i don't want everybody under that under both those blankets those are two very different groups to me to me and i wouldn't want both to be described as hateful or homophobic or anything of the sort i i think they're two different groups oh yeah i think so too you know i mean everybody's open to a discussion everybody's open to protest nobody wants to stop protest but what they what the legislation the proposed legislation would do would be to create a hundred uh meter barrier around or around circle around the drag performances because drag performances are being targeted for these very angry, you know, hateful attacks. And it's just like around abortion clinics and during the pandemic when there were a lot of protests in front of hospitals, the government imposed a hundred meter barrier for, for protests. So you still have the right to protest. You can still protest as much as you want. Uh, but you have to allow people to, you know, in this case, drag artists, you have to allow them to go and do their work. But you, know, you can't stop somebody from going to work. But if I have a sign and I my I say uh, I'm a parent and I'm against this, that's my sign. Am I not allowed to be in that in that hundred feet? So that's that's where the you know, if what what this is really designed to do is to protect drag artists and the families who are going to see these performances from harassment and intimidation. And so it would be up to the minister uh, whether they think that this barrier, this uh, this safety circle is is required in that situation. We agree that'll be tricky, right, for enforcement because oh. because I don't want to yell, like if it's me, hypothetically, I don't want to yell yeah. at anybody and I don't want, I, I can't sleep at night if I'm yelling at somebody, threatening somebody. But if I, if I have a sign and I say, I'm not sure they should be 
in public taxpayer funded libraries. I want to be able to, I, I want people to be able to do that. Don't you? Yeah, I think I mean certainly they would be able to do that and it would be the minister's judgment, you know, whether mm. this is just a protest or is this actually intimidation? You know, that's preventing because one of the things and I was, I, you know, met with uh, some drag artists, they're actually being prevented from doing their work, from going to their, you know, to their performances because of these kinds of attacks. And if you look at the history, I'm 61 years old. You look at the history of the two LGBTQ communities in Canada. Every time they've made a step forward, there's been a pushback and it's been a very hateful pushback. And so it, it makes sense that they need protection. I mean, I remember in the 70s and 80s, you know, in the village, there were these idiots going out and actually beating people up just because they were absolutely, gay. No, know, absolutely, absolutely not acceptable. And mm. this kind of hateful, vile attacks on people, that's not acceptable either. Yeah, the, the yelling and the threats are, are no good. Nobody, nobody would disagree. Well, I, I appreciate you coming on. Let's stay on the Minden issue. Let's keep talking about the other one as well. And, and I'm glad you were on the yeah. show today. Let's do it again. Thank you so much. And yeah, let's get that. If people are interested, join the Facebook group, Save the Minden ER. We really want to mm. save. It's going to save yeah. lives if we can keep that emergency room open. Yeah. And, and time's ticking. It's supposed to be end of the month that closes. Chris, thanks again for the time. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Chris Glover from the NDP joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Are you in or out? Just when I thought I was out. So are we in or out? You're out. You are over and out. No, 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 no. You insulted him a little bit. I'm okay with it, but now you're making me feel weird. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. (laughs) This is about hosting people. So we had probably the most people we've had in our household since COVID. We had like 12 or 13 soccer players, about eight or nine parents come over after a couple hours on Sunday. But Sheba, from Friday afternoon on, when we eventually found um, my car keys in the couch, uh, we mm-hmm. we got cleaning and we got going, and I like it. But not everybody. You go to a woman's house every week and you play mahjong, right? Yes, I do. But some, in a mask, in a mask, some people do not enjoy the process of getting a house ready. Their stress: who's going to come over first? How do I get ready? Some people are not hosts. Is that a fair thing to say? They don't like 100%. it. Hundred percent, don't they? And that's okay. They don't like it. So yes. I love it. I love it. I love hosting a good thing. I never got to. Do, I never had a big party as a kid. I should have. I should have told my parents go out for dinner tonight and then had a big raging like. 80s-style John Hughes pool party where the house explodes and people are running around in their underwear. But I never got to do that. Nobody was in their underwear on Saturday, except little Nas X. Um, but, but I like it. So I'm in on hosting people. Sheba, what about you? I'm absolutely in on hosting people. And yes. that's something that's, that's very recent, though. When my kids were really young, just stay away. Like, I'll come, I'll meet you somewhere. Let's go to the park. Let's go to the house. Because my house was a mess. It yeah. was a tornado. Now, I, my, I'm a stickler for my house being clean, organized, tidy, Come on over. And it's something about the pandemic. I think I was a lo- like, we were all just locked mm. in. I started having people over in my backyard, in my garage. And then that just built up to <laughs> get, come inside. No, honestly, every weekend, come over, open door. It's uh, the, the Trudeau's and I, open door policy. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And, and do, do they have to take their shoes off or does your, is, uh, like no, you this... absolutely have to take your, I so, thought Sophie about you. Gre- on... Sophie Gregoire has to take her shoes off if she comes Everybody, over. Everybody, you come house. in my house, you have to take your shoes off. Okay. But you're welcome to come over. I'll have food. I'll have entertainment. Let's have a blast. That's it. Gord Rennie, are you a host? 
Yeah, I like everything about hosting a party except for the actual party itself. I like to pre- <gasps> to prepare. Even cleaning up? You like cleaning up better than the actual like, hosting? Well, yeah. It's, I don't like the that's, preparing. That's the only way you get to clean your house really thoroughly is when you know there's people coming over. Mm. Just really clean it up. But I like, you know, I have a bar, I have it all set up, ready to go, and it's stocked. And then it's like, yeah. you know, it's like having a cigar or a, um, or a, a, a stout beer, like a Guinness. The action of doing it all and then the actual... I think some people feel the stress, so I don't think you do or I do. What about the conversation, though, Gord? Like, what about when people are there? You don't enjoy that part? Well, it's not like I don't enjoy it. It's, I just don't enjoy it as much as, as setting well, it up. 416 870 Do you enjoy hosting people at your home? Some people don't. I'd love to hear from people who don't. Because some people, Sheba, they have that anxiety. Like, that they're going to say in the car on the way home they didn't have a good time. They're not going to like they're not going to be honest. They're oh, you have get... to gossip on the way home. No, that's expected. Yes, and you're like, I, I, I didn't think the, the meal was a little cold. I don't know. Like, nobody leaves Yelp reviews when they go to somebody's house like you do a restaurant <laughs> or a hotel. But we all sort of critique it. I'll tell you really quick before I get to Dave. I had a boxing match. Um, I think it was Oscar De La Hoya. No, sorry. It was um, Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao. So I had people over to watch the fight, couples. And, and two people were asleep at the end because the fight took no, till 1 a.m. So a guy had to wake his wife up and I'm like, she didn't oh. have a good time. She fell asleep on a couch at a party yeah. in a house she'd never been in before. Yeah. That doesn't No, no, afford. I understand that. I would fall I'd... asleep at what, by 1 a.m. By 1 a.m., I'm out. Well, maybe it was no, one no. of my stories she was listening to and she, she just kind of nodded off a Comfortable little Comfortable and safe maybe. there. Could be that. 729, let's get inside the newsroom. What about the Bradley household? Do you like having tons of people over? Yeah, actually, yeah, we like to. Uh, my my wife pushes. She she drives that bus mostly, but uh, she's like, do? we should have friends over, and I'm like, eh, but it's fun once it's actually happening. I think so. You, I mean, you do have to sort of make the rounds. It's like when you yeah. get married, you're like, you can never spend enough time with people. You feel like you're short shrifting people and ignoring people, and you're like, thanks for coming, absolutely, eating, eating our chicken and leaving us a big gift. Thank yeah. you for that. You almost want to do a receiving line when you have a party at your house, <laughs> and so you can just talk to everybody as they come in. You're like, thanks for coming. I appreciate the bottle of wine. Go enjoy yourself. Yeah, but it's not. Yeah, six year old birthday party is a little bit a little bit different than when no. adults get to. Six year olds are kind of like a receiving line. Here's your present. Yes, Here's exactly. Your it's all very structured, isn't and, it? 